Welcome to the AKC Podcast, an audio resource for the King's community following the Associateship of King's College programme. The AKC is an inclusive, research-led programme of lectures, which explore diverse religious and cultural perspectives. For more information, visit kcl.ac.uk forward slash AKC. Lecture resources and further reading links for this lecture are available on the AKC Keats area. My name is Ellen Clark King, I'm the Dean of King's College London, and I'm delighted to be one of the voices speaking on leadership in the AKC series this term. My focus is going to be on the spirituality of leadership. I speak on this as an Anglican priest from my own Christian faith perspective. I've found the focus for this lecture in the voices of three women from the early years of the Christian Church, along with some of their better-known brothers. These are the Desert Mothers, who, with their more famous counterparts, the Desert Fathers, explored a radical new way of living in Northern Africa in the 3rd and 4th centuries of the Common Era. These are voices which have lasting spiritual power, though they were never people of worldly power. They help us look at leadership from the margins rather than the centre, from places where power has not traditionally found a home. It's a countercultural spirituality of leadership based on humility and service rather than accomplishment and control. And I want to begin briefly even further back in time, in the prophetic tradition of the people of Israel, which gives us some of our earliest records of countercultural leadership. Wilna Gaffney has drawn out the particular stories of the women prophets in her book, Womanist Midrash. This is how she speaks of one of the earliest, Miriam, the sister of Moses, who, with him and their brother Aaron, led the people of Israel out of slavery. Gaffney writes, Now Miriam, she's a real prophet. She goes to God on our behalf and God speaks to her for us. God comes when she pounds her drum, and when she dances, God dances with and in her. That's my kind of prophet. That's my kind of leader. The prophets were leaders who spoke truth to the hearts of the people, who led not by the possession of coercive power, but of moral power, the ability to see to the heart of the human condition and human purpose and to the depth of the purpose of the universe. Far from perfect leaders, they were often angry, often tried to run away from their calling, often, like Miriam herself, failed to always truly catch the true deep meaning. But these were leaders who spoke in the midst of the people out of their best instincts and deepest humanity. And their core message, the core prophetic message, is beautifully expressed by Rabbi Nahum Ward Lev in his book, The Liberating Path of the Hebrew Prophets Then and Now. He writes, Today is a day of creation. Today is a day of exodus. Today is a day to take God's outstretched hand 
and set off into the wilderness of an alternative future. This is the heart of the spirituality of leadership we will explore today. Leadership as following the call of God to hear her people's voice and to lead her people in unexpected and unlikely life-giving directions. Leadership as the path to freedom and new life, rather than leadership as the headship and custody of a struggling status quo. Leadership as a dance with the divine, with the core depth of human purpose, rather than as a drive for dominance. And this is leadership as women's work. Men's work too, of course, as it always has been, but definitely also women's work in an area always and still dominated by men. And in a world designed for men. In her recent book, Invisible Women, Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men, Caroline Criado Perez explores the ways that the world around us is designed with only male bodies in mind. From minor annoyances like iPhones being designed for male hands and upper shelves being set too high for most women to reach, to life-threatening issues with crash test dummies being modelled on an average male body and flak jackets failing to fit women police officers. The world around us is designed for men. That male is the norm is not some feminist theory, it's a fact of everyday life. And male is still a norm in leadership. In the secular world, of course, but even more so in the church and in the majority of the world's faith communities. And part of this way the world is set up means that leadership and spirituality are often seen as separate, almost opposite. Leaders being imaged as forceful, engaged with the world, risk-takers, extroverted, while seekers of spiritual wisdom are characterised as gentle, otherworldly, conservative with a small c, introverted. Leadership as classically masculine, spirituality as classically feminine. But this binary way of viewing spirituality and leadership does a disservice to both, just as binary ways of viewing gender identities do a disservice to both women and men as well as to those who identify as gender fluid. Our current world needs a spirituality of leadership that steps out of the patriarchal shadows of dominance and ego-pleasing and into a divine humility that is more powerful, not less. We need a spirituality of leadership that centres what is often marginalised, that attends to different voices and sees and shows different images of what it means to be a leader. There are many places we could go, many great voices we could listen to, but for our hope-filled walk into wilderness today, for our leadership dance, I'm going to take the desert fathers and mothers as our guides. Leaders of colour, leaders from the margins, leaders deeply immersed in a passion for the spiritual. 
And the reason for travelling with this group of elders is that our theology of leadership today needs to be as countercultural as theirs was in their day. They offer what we need to break away from patriarchal models of what it means to lead. Let me introduce you to them. The first and the most famous of the Desert Fathers and Mothers was Antony. Born in 270 or 271 CE, he left settled society behind to find a new home in the wilderness of Egypt. At first just outside the city, but later as more women and men flocked to learn from him, he moved further out into the desert. The immediate spark for his radical change of life was hearing a verse from the Gospel of Matthew which seemed to speak right to his heart. If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Antony followed Jesus into the desert wastes, where he had wrestled with temptation and found his purpose, looking for his own purity and path to holiness. The larger background for this desert would move was a change in Christianity's place in wider society. From being seen as the despised religion of servants and slaves, the subject of persecution and the home of martyrs, it became the established religion of emperors and empire, a place of power rather than of vulnerability. And for those Christians who wanted to follow Jesus in a path of vulnerability and powerlessness, it was therefore now necessary to step outside society and find their own more challenging places to be. And Antony was soon not alone. People flocked to hear his wisdom and a number of them made their own home in the Egyptian desert, living either as isolated hermits or in small communities, or in a middle way that involved both isolation and some communal gathering. The reasons each of them sought the desert were no doubt as complex as the motivations of the human heart always are, but there was a common desire to learn how to live a life in which seeking God was at the heart, a life detached from safety and security which called for a constant self-giving, a constant self-discipline. The purpose of this life was both to find one's own path to salvation and divinization, becoming more like God, and also to be a source of wisdom and prayer for one's sisters and brothers. As St Anthony famously said, our life and death is with our neighbour, if we gain our brother, we have gained God, but if we scandalise our brother, we have sinned against Christ. So the desert was a place of service, as well as the site for personal discipline and growth. It was always about self-discipline and self-knowledge, while at the same time being always about the benefit such self-knowledge and self-discipline gave to the wider world. And the reason we know that Antony said this, and the reason the Desert Fathers and Mothers continue to influence thinking today, is that their sayings were valued, remembered, repeated and collected 
from a very early stage. Often more like Zen koans than simple moral teaching, their words have and had an impact on the reality of what it is to be human and to strive to be one's best, holiest, deepest self. The sayings were initially transmitted orally in a range of Northern African and Mediterranean languages, Coptic, Greek, Syrian and Latin. Towards the end of the 4th and in the early 5th century, the sayings began to be collected in written form and this they were written down in Greek. Then in the 5th century, more formal collections began to appear, which are our main source of knowledge of the desert elders to this day. Woods and Anthony and the others have called themselves leaders. They certainly didn't go out into the desert with that intention. They went driven by the sense of their need to work upon their own bodies and souls, rather than to direct the bodies and souls of others. But the work they did on themselves drew others to them, whether that was their choice and intention or not. They became leaders because they headed in a direction that others wanted and chose to follow, rather than because they set out to lead. This is how John Chrysavgis describes their new direction. Society expects its citizens to be active and productive. In society, you are useless if you are not valuable. This expectation translates today into our attitude towards minorities or towards the elderly, the disabled, and especially young children. The desert fathers and mothers proclaimed a different set of values, where change occurs through silence and not war, where inaction may be the most powerful source of action, and where productivity may be measured by obscurity, even invisibility. But despite the counterculturalism of the move to the desert, the radical new reality still reflected aspects of the old, rejected society. Women were welcome in the desert, both as hearers of the elders' words and as desert dwellers themselves. Yet despite this, we have the sayings of only three women recorded alongside those of 27 men. These three Amas are Sarah, Syncletica and Theodora, and the sayings of these women will be one of our primary sources for a contemporary spirituality of leadership. Amma here is the word for mother, the honorific given to the desert women. The equivalent for the desert monks was Abba, father. We know most about Amma Syncletica, she was born in 380 CE, so a little over a hundred years after Antony, the daughter of a wealthy Alexandrian family who gave away all she owned after her parents' death and moved to the desert along with her sister who was blind. She lived to be about 80 and became the focal point and leader of a small community of women. Amma Theodora was also the centre of a small female community, having reportedly first disguised herself as a man to join the monks in the desert. 
Amasara is believed to have lived alone near a river and to have been sought out for her fierce and forthright opinions. It should be noted that all three women were respected and attended to by men as well as by women. They were all women who wrestled with their own demons and stepped way outside conventional expectations to live into something new. So the first spiritual message for leadership from the Desert Mothers is this. Find yourself first, even if that means getting lost. Leadership, both within faith communities and outside, is a demanding and potentially spiritually disorienting place to be. We see far too many examples of leaders who believe their own publicity or reckon themselves to be above the rules they impose on others. From Dominic Cummings to Donald Trump to leaders in the church who abuse their positions of privilege, a badly grounded leadership is poisonous and pernicious. And it's a serious temptation for leaders to believe the things that are projected onto them that many of us feel, at least to a certain degree. The enticing pull to believe the projections of excellence and virtue, and also that deadening lure of believing the other projections of malignancy and incompetence. If we are to stay steady as leaders, and especially if female leaders are to stay steady with all the extra baggage that patriarchy loads on femaleness, then we first have to be grounded in who we are. For me, as a Christian leader, that means being firmly grounded in God's eyes, seeing myself with the same clarity, love and hope that God sees me with, and seeing those I lead in the same way. Like Amas, Sarah, Synclitica, and Theodora, we need to see our primary identity in our relationship with the ground of our being, whether we name that as God or not, so that we have the necessary foundation, courage and love to claim the authority we are being called to. The de desert mothers journeyed into the desert to find that clarity. They lost themselves in the wilderness in order to encounter the truth of themselves, humanity and God. If you're not interested in taking this journey, then you're going to be a thin leader in spiritual terms, able to deal with the surface and success, but without the depth of relationship with your own being and the source of all being, to lead through failure and to have the confidence and capacity to lead into the unknown. A thin skin, the capacity to feel your own pain and the pain of others, should not be a barrier to leadership, even though it's talked about in that way. But a fragile ego should always be a barrier, as it roots leadership in the need to receive rather than the imperative to give. So begin with sorting yourself out before you try and sort anything else.
Leaders need to dream big, but they need to dream dreams for their communities rather than for themselves. In theological terms, they need to dream God's dreams, not those of their own advancement or security. And they need to be solidly rooted in themselves so that they can tell the difference. This image, of course, is the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., great dreamer and great leader. Finding yourself, finding the ground of being, leads into the next spiritual prerequisite for true leadership. Make serving truth and love your number one priority. I capitalise truth and love, as for me they're another way of saying God, but one that can stretch beyond theist faith to something more universal. The Desert Elders were very clear that all that they did, whether prayer or leadership, staying still in stability or moving on to somewhere re more remote, all of this was done out of service to God rather than to their own agendas. And there's nothing more important than this if the world is to have great leadership rather than merely efficient leadership. Leadership with something of the holy, of the depth, clinging to it in the midst of all the practical, financial, personnel decisions that are also part of leadership. And in order to, to find this sort of leadership within ourselves, it's important to do all those things which are easy to let go of in the desire to appear busy and indispensable. Self-reflection. Reflection with trusted others. Connection to the sources of love, joy and faith in our own lives. I would say a leader, especially a Christian leader, who makes no time for these things, is not a leader anyone should follow. And though they all had this shared common imperative of serving truth and love, this did not mean that they all looked like one another in their service. The opposite was true. Each had to find their own way of bringing truth and love to bear on their life and on their leadership, remaining true to their underlying personality and individuality. One of my favourite illustrations of this is the story that gives the title to Rowan Williams's book about the Desert Fathers and Mothers, Silence and Honeycakes. A visitor to the desert is puzzled by the difference between two desert elders, Abba Arsenius and Abba Moses, one who greets him with silence and the other who feasts with him on sweet foods. He feels that one of them must have the right path to virtue and one of them be misled. But then he has a vision. Two large boats floating on the river were shown to him. In one of them sat Abba Arsenius and the Holy Spirit of God in complete silence. And in the other boat was Abba Moses with the angels of God. They were eating honey cakes. See, introverts can be leaders as well as extroverts. 
silence and deep reflection, as well as engagement and joyful community, are both sources for the energy to lead. Each of us needs to find our own way of serving truth and love, not look to mirror that of another. But each of us needs to make this the heart of what we do and why we do it. Even when our definitions of truth will differ, which is why, again like the Desert Elders, we need to seek out the voice of wisdom from others, as well as from our own hearts. The third spiritual message for leadership from the Desert Elders is somewhat counterintuitive to learn from a bunch of wannabe herbits. Leaders create community. The Desert Fathers and Mothers initially went into the desert to escape this very thing, running away from human companionship in order to be alone with God and to fight their own demons. But they never denied that their living martyrdom was to be for the benefit of all humanity, not just themselves. Remember what Abba Antony said, slightly changed in translation this time, our life and death is with our neighbour. If we gain our sister, we have gained God. But if we scandalise our sister, then we have sinned against Christ. Our life and death as spiritually attuned leaders is with our neighbours. If we are in this for ourselves, then we will again be thin leaders. Not that we shouldn't gain satisfaction from giving ourselves in leadership and using our gifts to the full, but a leader is only as strong and successful as the community they build. True spiritually healthy leadership is never all about the leader, but all about the community the leader helps to nurture and to build. A community that the leader also allows to nurture and to build them. A community that had roots before this leader came and should continue to grow and thrive long after this leader departs. A great student society or department or university that descends into chaos when its leader leaves is not a testament to their great leadership skills when they were there, but their failure in this crucial part of spiritually grounded leadership, building up others. The wisdom of the Desert Elders comes down to us because they did just this, gather groups who would amplify their message, who would help educate them as well as learning from them, and so allow them to grow in love through brushing against real, live, infuriating, miraculous women and men. A good leader needs to build other leaders too, so that the community never looks to one charismatic person alone. We're called to see the gifts of others and bring these out. Great leaders aren't threatened by the growth of others because they're secure in their own calling and in their relationship with truth and love and the ground of all being. The deep human purpose is to build something beyond ourselves, not to build for ourselves alone. If that was the calling even for desert hermits, how much more so for us?
And all of this requires humility. If you really believe you are the best leader ever, you'll never bother to develop anyone else's gifts. So, to put it more practically, own your own weakness. Or to use Christian theological language, name yourself as a sinner. Let me tell you one of my many weaknesses, and not one of those that you try and bring out in interviews when they ask, what are your strengths and weaknesses? Like, I'm really too conscientious and tend to be workaholic. This particular weakness is a real weakness, one that's shared widely in Christian ministry and in secular leadership too. But one, just because it's shared widely, doesn't mean that it isn't debilitating. I want to be liked. I really, really want to be liked. All that talk about finding yourself and rooting yourself in God's image of you. I know that's important because I have to go back to it again and again, to look for my beloved reflection in those eyes so that I can do the tough stuff of leadership, the discipline parts, the saying no, the holding those I lead to high standards of behavior. I need to look there for that reflection so that I don't constantly need to see myself beloved in everyone else's eyes. And I catch myself again and again falling into wanting to be the popular leader rather than the good leader. But at least this is a weakness I see in myself, which means I can begin to address it. There are so many others that I am blind to. Which leads me to another saying from the desert, that comes in many different stories. The awareness the desert elders had of their own fallibility, not just their sinfulness, the ways that they purposefully did something wrong, but also their own incomplete self-knowledge. Their response when asked to condemn others boils down to this. Who am I to cast the first stone? Not only who am I to condemn when I also sin, but also how can I judge others when I don't know the full truth about myself? And this is Amma Sarah's take on the time-consuming and energy-sapping futility of needing universal esteem. She says, If I prayed God that all people should approve of my conduct, I should find myself a penitent at the door of each one, but I shall rather pray that my heart may be pure toward all. In other words, take care of what you can take care of, your own motives and conduct, and leave the judgment of others to one side. Which leads to my next spiritual prerequisite for leadership. Encourage rather than condemn. Story after story about the desert mothers and fathers talks about their seriousness and severity with themselves and their generosity to their sisters and brothers. One day when Abba John was going up to Sketis with some other brothers, their guide lost his way for it was night time. 
So the brothers said to Abba John, What shall we do, Abba, in order not to die wandering about? For the brother has lost the way. The old man said to them, If we speak to him, he will be filled with grief and shame. But look here, I will pretend to be ill and say I cannot walk any more. Then we can stay here till the dawn. This he did. The others said, We will not go on either, but we will stay with you. They sat there until the dawn, and in this way they did not upset the brother. I remember very clearly one Saturday just before Holy Week, many, many years ago now. At this most intense time in the clergy year, I royally messed up an important pastoral relationship by sending an email about someone to that person. That moment when you want to claw at the laptop and make time go backwards. I spent most of the evening trying to mend the damage I had done and berating myself as a complete idiot. On the Sunday morning, I walked to church with my boss. I confessed to him my stupid mistake and its fallout. I was able to do that with him because I trusted him. I knew that he was always human with me and let me know about his own fallibility. And by the time we arrived in church, I felt upheld, well counselled and able to face Holy Week without a great burden of shame. A leader who has your back without being blind to your growing points is one of the greatest gifts in any organisation, professional or voluntary. Be that leader. And one of the ways we can be that leader is by being aware of our own demons and the demons that haunt our institutions. So my final theological pointer from the desert leaders is do not be afraid to confront the demons. This is why the desert fathers and mothers headed out to the wilderness in the first place, not to enjoy its beauty or to find themselves or to relish its peace, but to confront the demons of their own hearts that drew them from being the best version of themselves. A spirituality of leadership calls for us to be alert for the ways that we ourselves all the institutions we serve are being led astray from a true relationship with truth and love. Through making too easy an alliance with the powers of the time, as many believed was happening in the Christian church in the fourth century, or through a failure to risk becoming all that God would have us be. We need to address the institutional demons of racism, ageism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and all those other biases if we are to be spiritually effective leaders. And don't doubt that this can be emotionally expensive and not always career-wise, but that doesn't make it any less essential. And it is, first of all, the work of us who have all the privilege that comes with being white, cis and straight. 
and equally essential is the addressing of our personal, internal demons. Having demons isn't shameful or sinful, and it's usually only when we're able to confess to those that haunt our own psyches that we have enough clarity to see those that haunt our institutional psyches. Amma Theodora said, There was a monk who, because of the great number of his temptations, said, I will go away from here. As he was putting on his sandals, he saw another man who was also putting on his sandals. And this other man said to him, Is it on my account that you are going away? Because I go before you wherever you are going. We take our demons with us. Their power can only be diffused by recognising and addressing them. If you want a peaceful life, then spiritually aware leadership is not the place to be. It isn't a place to escape your demons of ambition or envy or insecurity. It's a place where you bring your demons with you for all to see. But if you want a fascinating, purposeful life, aimed at truth and love, if you're not afraid to confront those demons, then it be, may be the exact right place for you. And two last words from Amma Theodora. First, on the one way to defeat those demons. Amma Theodora said that neither asceticism, nor vigils, nor any kinds of suffering are able to save. Only true humility can do that. There was a hermit who was able to banish the demons, and he asked them, What makes you go away? Is it fasting? They replied, We do not eat or drink. Is it vigils? They said, We do not sleep. Then what power sends you away? They replied, nothing can overcome us except humility alone. Amma Theodora said, do you see how humility is victorious over the demons? Humility, knowing yourself, being rooted in truth and love, feeling assured of your own worth, being aware of your own failings, seeing the potential and infinite value in others, not relying on affirmation from outside. This is the final fundamental key to spiritually effective and grounded leadership. And this finally is Amma Theodora's definition of what makes a good teacher or a good leader. A teacher ought to be a stranger to the desire for domination, vainglory and pride. One should not be able to fool them by flattery, nor blind them by gifts, nor conquer them by the stomach, nor dominate them by anger. But they should be patient, gentle and humble as far as possible. They must be tested and without partisanship full of concern and a lover of souls.
I hope you who listen have the passion for leadership within yourself. Please be willing to take that walk into the desert, that deep dive into the countercultural reality of truth and love. The world needs you to lead us in God-touched, daring new directions. Don't just be the change you want to see, be the leadership you want to see and make this the King's community you want to see. For today is a day of creation. Today is a day of exodus. Today is a day to take God's outstretched hand and set off into the wilderness of an alternative future. May that day be today. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening to the AKC podcast. If you have enjoyed this lecture, please click subscribe in your podcast app to receive future episodes. AKC, at the heart of King's thinking. Thank you.